Well, good morning, good day, good evening. My name is Jill, and these are my journals out loud. I'm starting this pattern where I'm not even having enough time to like think very much and write very much. If you can hear Haven, she's making her I want to go out noises in the morning. So we're going to take a deep breath. Uh, I'm just checking in with you today. If you saw the last post, I left the Flagstaff area and the tall pines and on cue, there go the dogs, and drove out towards Lake Havasu. And uh, I haven't taken a picture of it. I have managed to park next to what looks like the community toilet. So uh, this is a terrible place that I have parked in. So we're going to be getting up here as the sun rises and looking around. But I have to tell you, it is in stark and marked contrast to uh, being in the forest, to being out in the desert. And all right, the dogs are having a moment. They like to play. They don't realize there's not much room. Uh, every time they do something cute outside and I go to get the camera, I, they automatically stop doing the cute thing. But inside, they are not cute when they are wrestling around because there's just not that much room. So one of the things, though, I wanted to talk about is, you know, normally I speak through this filter and lens of Wired for Danger, meaning short fuse in stressful situations or short fuse in dangerous crisis situations. And, uh, you know, I do that because I think it's important, but I also do that because uh, I don't think there's a voice for us. Uh, you know, there's a voice for us when we are in a point that is heroic, but the rest of the time, it's a lot about what's wrong with you and you need to fix it. And uh, I am not going to get this up this time, and I'm going to talk about it more at another time. But I listened to this amazing young woman, sorry, moving the microphone, who super smart, just super smart uh, about the civility renaissance, meaning uh, she was talking about the concept of politeness versus civility and went into this really extraordinary history of civility uh, as compared to kind of that fake politeness and its relationship to the democratic ability to have freedom. And, but at the very end, she spoke of something, I can't remember her term, it was mellifluous soul. But the point being is her grandmother demonstrated this, of being this incredibly kind, generous person who saw everybody as an opportunity to make them feel wonderful and special. And I always, as she was describing it, I'm like, that's the ideal woman, right? This is the fantasy that we have about what women are supposed to be like. And yeah, there's probably some of them out there. And she, you know, made a negative remark about people who like to kick the dog, not like, but who end up kicking the dog. And as much as I agree with her, I wish I could be more like that beautiful soul that's kind and makes everybody feel good about themselves. I relate to the person who and why they kick the dog. And that is not something that people want to talk about. That's something that needs to be fixed. And so much of this process with you guys this and with me mostly this last year and a half has been really about trying to make peace with this idea that at the end of the day, I'm the person that wants to kick the dog. And my work is to just not kick the dog and 
my fantasy, but also I think I could think about all the men and women who are like me who want to kick the dog. Some of us do, and I don't ever recommend that. I think our mastery is to not kick the dog. But we are not the person who is just awesome and makes you feel fabulous and special and is gentle and kind. And, you know, I there's, I'm sure, a male counterpart to all of this, uh, the calm, steady, solid soul, you know, that's just there, that's grounded, that's never ruffled, you know, that never gets upset, that just makes everybody feel safe. And... Everything about what I've been talking about doesn't make other people feel safe unless there's a reason to be dangerous. And we like it in movies. You know, we like it when the guy, I think Jordan Peterson talks about why women like dangerous men. Uh, Nobody likes dangerous women unless, you know, you're broken. But it's this terrible curse and gift, I think. And we only talk about it in these two ways. We like it when it works for us. And the rest of the time is something broken that needs to be fixed. And I've been struggling to find this way through as a conversation that says it's not broken. It is something that needs to be mastered. And And when you're a young person, that's almost impossible, especially young men. When you're all raging hormones, that's testosterone. When you had testosterone, I don't even think there's testosterone being generated anymore for boys. But when you had raging testosterone, you know, there was just no way you could manage this without being violent and physical. And if you were lucky, you had a way to channel that into sports or Uh, the military or going to war or something. Uh, And for women, I think that looked like a lot of erratic behavior that we call borderline personality or bipolar or other things that may or may not have been as much a mental illness as much as what I believe is that it's a wiring issue that is extremely sensitive to its environment. And What I mean by that is that you are on alert environmentally all the time for the danger. And if you are in a more fragile state, you're more vulnerable. And, you know, young people have hormones and that makes you more vulnerable and less able to manage the intensity. Uh, But fatigue, stress, uh, you know, being upset, pain, illness, hunger, Uh, All these things, grief, loss, all these things exacerbate this emotional dysregulation that we're supposed to fix and all be like that perfect, nice person. And, you know, I think it's a little more difficult for women in that uh, we're supposed to be a certain way and we don't like angry women. Uh, And I think, you know, part of the mastery is taking the anger and understanding what it actually is. Is it protective? Uh, Is it just you asserting yourself? Uh, I've run into that more than one occasion. Uh, You know, if you're not compliant, then you're angry and you're a bitch, right? If you don't just go along. And so, so there's no perfect way through this. And, and, you know, part of what I feel like our process as humans is and are is 
you know, we spend the first half of our life going out into the world and understanding who we are out in the world, having lots and lots of experiences. And then the second half is we get to step back and reflect. Do I like that? Do I want to change that? Do I understand who I am? Uh, how do I make peace with it? How do I capitalize on it? What's the strength? And, you know, culture and civilization are extremely defining, you know, as Mm -hmm. what is valuable. You know, I think about Mm -hmm. the mountain men, you know, I've talked about Mm -hmm. them, Kit Carson uh, and a few others. And these were guys that mostly did not fit into culture and society. You know, Kit Carson was hired to scorch earth the Native Americans at one point in in that group. I think it was the Navajo. I mean, he was horrific what he did and he was good at it. Uh, Yet he you know, was happiest. He was married several times. I think twice he had Native American wives. And and my guess, not knowing him, is he was dyslexic. He couldn't read. He could speak six languages. Uh, I'm pretty certain he was wired for danger. Did better thriving out in the world of nature and not within culture and civilization that was confining. I think it gets a little bit older, easier as you get older, older, older. You know, you're not as physically aggressive. Your testosterone backs down. Or for women... Uh, you know, the hormones uh, streamline and aren't as as, um, erratic. And you get a little wisdom and you get a sense of who you are and how you fit in. And so I think without trying, we learn to manage. But I think young people are screwed because we have this fantasy at this point, I'm not sure what's going on. People think young people are just supposed to pop out and be perfect and developed. You know, there's no process allowed for them right now. They're not allowed to have opinions without being, you know, heavy hammered by all the older opinionated people. And, you know, that's what the first half of life is about. And I just, you know, find it incredibly tragic that there is no guidance for any of this because the people who are put forth I think we've learned that with social media. Uh, It's not real. You know, we've got movie stars who create characters that we identify with. And then you get a window into their personal real life. And it's horrifying. I can't even watch some of the actors and actresses anymore. Uh, We get false realities. I'm thinking about how uh, so many people who do these RV nomad travel videos are always like happy and this is awesome. And, you know, like yesterday I pulled in and it's ugly and it's dry and dirty and I'm parked next to like 10,000 pieces of toilet paper. And why the hell people don't pick up their toilet paper and they just throw it on the ground where they crap and pee is disgusting. Uh, and, you know, the there's no privacy here and it's noisy and, uh, you know, I just, it's, it's in that sad, stark, depressing, uh, feeling. I haven't adjusted to the desert yet either. Uh, and I think feeling all this is I caught a picture of myself in the gas station mirror with those terrible lights. And I look like I was a hundred years old. I'm like, this is not good for me. (laughs) It's not, I need to go somewhere where there's privacy and humidity, but it's, uh, 
But there's this terrible component to it all, you know, when you're lost or you're driving around or, you know, you're stressed out. And none of that really gets shown in the fantasy. The travel is awesome and it's a great big adventure. And we all sit around a campfire and kumbaya. And uh, and that is some of it, but it's not the reality of it. And how so much of our entertainment has crafted a reality that isn't realistic and it was easier you know once upon a time we fantasized about adventure novels you know a lot of people went out west when they did those dime store westerns you know they had fantasy stories of the of the gangsters you know jesse uh, james and doc holiday and you know the dime store novels and little kids would read those uh, and then pick up in their teens and head west you know seeking for adventure and so fantasy has always fueled adventure but a lot of what that fuel is, is for people who don't fit in in the normal world. And there used to be faraway places that you could run away to for adventure. Uh, and I'm just overwhelmed with how crowded everything is, how there's no room uh, to live, you know, I yell a lot life. You know, I have a loud life. I don't live loud, but I speak yelling loud more often than I should. And that doesn't fit in with other people. That needs privacy. That needs to be a space away. And how confining it is if I'm in a crowded place. And I was thinking about, you know, all the people who are crammed into these tiny uh, ways of living now. And I don't mean tiny in terms of physical, but in proximity. You know, they want to do these apartments or these uh, commune type cities where you're just literally on top of each other you know in the rat studies they just killed each other and went insane we don't do well on top of each other but it's ex even more difficult for people especially children who are in the wired for danger category and you put in you know stress alcohol drugs poverty uh, things like that, and it's a great big nightmare. And, you know, one of the things that's coming to my attention, and I've thought about this a lot, is the money component of it. You know, what we perceive as poverty and, and how many things are affected by poverty, especially for young people who are in this category, and how often they end up in jail and juvenile delinquency, and then all the terrible things that happen to them. And then it just becomes a never-ending downward spire, spiral. And then you get this lovely woman who talks about how terrible it is that people kick the dogs. And all I see is the person who kicks the dog has been screwed pretty much after since they popped out of the womb because nobody ever talked to them or mentored them or showed them who they were and created value around this type of person. And if you were lucky, I think I've shared this, you know, when I was doing the babies uh, as a social worker and they, you know, the little crack babies would come or the meth babies would come in and I would tell the mom because there was a good chance, you know, that they would, because the mom had used their brains were going to be wired for this in this way. And I said, you know, you're going to have to channel your kid into good or evil. You know, it's either, your kid's either going to be a, a cop, a fireman, or a criminal. Because those two professions in the past, now it's not, but in the past, 
you know, called the person who was a first responder person to the front line, whether that front line was killing people in war or as a criminal or catching people and defending people, you know, as a hero, uh, soldier, police officer, firefighter, search and rescue. So we, I was listening to sidebar, a guy talk about his job. He was, uh, was one of the most difficult jobs there is. He was a a swimmer, a search and rescue swimmer, and oh, the amount of training and the danger that he was in. But I'm laughing, you know, listening to him because he's like screaming wired for danger. He's a nice guy. It was one of those moth stories who lives up in Minnesota somewhere, who's married with a kid and is lovely. He's just this nice young man. But he found his way, luck or not, I don't remember how he got into that that he could be who he was. And I think when we have a way to channel that, that's positive, that's rewarding, you know, there's a lot of pluses to that versus when you're getting a lot of negative feedback. Now, I think we all know there's a lot of things that go on behind closed doors that we believe, you know, the best men and women in town who are respected. We got no idea, you know, what's going on at home. And that's where, you know, people go to kick the dog. They don't do it at work. They don't do it in front of the house. They do it in the backyard where nobody can see. And so we really don't know, you know, the extent of all of this. But I was struck by her comment because it was derogatory about people who kick the dog. And I thought, you know, I'm sitting here and appreciating who you are and what you're talking about. But there's this cultural bias that if you're not, as a woman, you know, you're supposed to be a very specific kind of way. Uh, And, you know, we used to have more definitive roles, which we don't now. But I think at our core, we don't like mean women. We don't like bitchy women. We don't like loud, crass women. Uh, You know, men have more room to move into that sphere, to be violent, to be dangerous, to be fighters. Uh, There was a documentary I watched on Ronda Rousey. She was a UFC fighter. And, you know, she's just wired up this way. And it's not like you say, I want to do this. Therefore, I'm going to change who I am and become this fighter. You're really just a fighter who happened to get into the right line of work. And all the people that didn't get in the right line of work you know, aren't doing very well or are medicated or are addicted or are in prison or are on mental health medications. Because culturally, we do not like people who kick dogs. And I'm not saying we're supposed to kick the dogs. I'm saying that is something, if you are like this, that you understand runs through your head I just want to beat the shit out of you, which is very different than doing it. So I am in no way, shape or form advocating ever hurting anyone or anything through physical violence just because you're frustrated or you're having what I've been calling a hyper reactivity response as opposed to being just emotionally dysregulated because you're defective. I believe that it's very specific for a very specific purpose in the world at very specific times. And... We are moving into that period of time where those who are wired for danger that aren't old and broken down like me, that are young, 
that are going to lead the pack in the violence because we're getting closer and closer and closer to that moment of time where things are going to break out in the Western world that we've been basically perpetrating, you know, around the world. It's going to come home. It's, it is here. It is on our borders. It's coming through. It's waiting, you know, for the go signal. And it's waiting within the amount of hate that's being generated. And when you add hate to the wired for danger person, then you get this emotional permission to not just kick the dog, but to kill anything that gets in your way. And that's, you know, this terrible danger that's starting to happen. And then the second thing that comes is that you get the, the running away and the freezing up people move into kind of a mass hysteria with the violent person. And that's when you start to see these great big breaking out, you know, mass violent events where they talk about, you know, something just took me over. So someone who's not naturally prone to violence will be swept away by the few people who trigger that violence. Uh, and that's one of those really scary things where you need to just get out of the way. Because once that group thing takes over, uh, there's no stopping it by conversation. Uh, you know, one-on-one -on -one is one thing, but when it's, you know, large groups, they are feeding on each other. There's an energy that takes over, and that is very different, you know, than what I'm talking about at an individual level. But we are moving, you know, into that moment of time. And, you know, we're all capable of being violent because we all have all three stress responses within us. And there are certain things that push you over the edge. You could be the calmest and nicest person in the world who could have no clue what, what I mean when I say kick the dog. But you could have, you know, a series of events that could happen to you. And at some point, you will snap and do something that is completely out of character because we can all be pushed into a hyper-reactive response, even if we don't believe in it, even if we don't feel it on a daily basis, even if we've never been violent. You know, we're all capable of it. But, you know, I, I really wanted to just touch on this idea because I was having, you know, one of those days yesterday where a lot of little things were going wrong. And I'm like, I am so overreactive compared to normal people that uh, it's distressing if anybody were to witness it. And, you know, needing the privacy that is lacking uh, in public places. And, you know, it always strikes me, you know, as when I do travel around, is how many in just these out-of-the-way places, there'll be clusters of houses or RVs and trailers and and I think, you know, how how did people collect up into these remote places, right? There, for some reason, I know it was like that when I was uh, traveling back from Yuma last year. I was, I don't know where I was, on Highway 8, somewhere at south. And there was this just, you know, probably 20 RVs. It wasn't a formal RV park. It was like some kind of little community or something. I'm like, how do these people find each other? You know, that all these people have, quote unquote, moved into the spot where there's zero resources and you're totally out in the middle of nowhere. So, you know, people can find a way to find space. But what has been always an assault to my nervous system is when I move out of my quiet places in the, you know, New Mexico has very remote places. 
Arizona is much more crowded than uh, New Mexico. And where I am right now is it's very crowded. And it's not, I think yesterday was the first not 95 degree day. It was like 85. And so it was the first Mm -hmm. not super hot day of the season. And I'm thinking if it's this crowded now, it's going to be terrifying, you know, what happens in the next month. And, you know, I picked the Lake Havasu area because I didn't want to be on the border uh, and I wanted to check it out. So I'm going to go look at the town today and mm-hmm. and see what the other uh, spots look like. But my guess is they are all going to be extremely crowded. So uh, I'm not really sure exactly where I'm going to go at this point. But it's been such an assault, you know, to shift from the forest to the desert. Uh, it's been an assault to shift uh you know, from the quiet places in New Mexico to the ever-increasing amount of cars and noise and speed and others and others with nasty behaviors and the toilet I've got next door to me and uh, the gross factor uh, of some of this stuff and, you know, how people adjust to this close proximity is you have to tune your nervous system down. You have to turn it off in many ways. You know, I, I learned that when I worked at Knott's Berry Farm, you know, which was an amusement park. And it it was so striking, you know, at, during the day, it was so loud and so noisy and just wall-to-wall people. Uh, and at the end of the shift, you know, after the park had closed and it'd be emptied out and all the lights and the noise had been turned off and you'd be walking, it would be like a horror movie, right? It was quiet and eerie and dark and silent. Uh, but the only way, you know, for, especially for me, I could survive was to tune everything out. But by tuning everything out, you know, I'm also not vigilant. I'm not able to pay attention to what's happening because there's too many things coming at me. And, you know, it really made me realize how we have to make Mm -hmm. a decision about how we want to operate our own nervous system. You know, I had someone from New York once tell me the only way, because she wouldn't speak to me, it was that crazy sheep lady I met at the beginning of all this. And, you know, she'd just walk by me and she, for a month, she wouldn't even acknowledge I was there. I'm like, who does this, right? And she was just very strange. But one of the things she had said to me at some point was that she, in New York, you would look down because it was the only way to create space. You had a tiny little bubble around you on streets full of lots and lots of people. Haven's doing doing her moaning thing when she wants to go out. So demanding, I swear to God, that uh, that was the only way you could create space. And when you do that, when you shrink your world and your senses to this tiny little bubble, you have no situational awareness. You cannot tune in to all the things happening around you because it overwhelms you in your sensors, sensory system. It shuts you down. It makes you crazy. It overwhelms you. It's why children don't do well in crowds because they can't filter. They don't know how to tune down and tune out. And it's civilization creates a skill set that tunes out everything around you so you can create some kind of bubble Uh, in which you can function. But once you unlearn that, 
you know, I'm just so aware of how difficult it is to readjust to this assault on the nervous system about the constant noise, the constant light, the constant movement. It's a, it's a fascinating issue. And, you know, I think once upon a time, you know, when people would live in the city and they'd go camping, it would, they would talk about how after it took 24 to 48 hours for the nervous system to recalibrate and calm down being in the quiet camping experience, which is almost non-existent at this point because people have so many things that make loud noises, generators and motorcycles and off-road vehicles and cars and ugh, speaker systems and, you know, satellites, blah, blah, blah. So it's, uh, I'm not sure if there's very many uh, good camping experiences that don't require you to hike in as opposed to just pulling up in your car anymore. But uh, I know some guy came with a bunch of wood and he's got the ch chainsaw out and he's hacking and chainsawing. <laughs> it's like, okay. So it's very, very assaultive on the nervous system. And, you know, a lot of this contrast is what s helped me start this process about how do we restore our nervous system when it's all broken down. And, you know, when I was able to finally get into quiet years and years ago, it was so transformative. I thought, you know, it's not that we're broken. We're just restoring by resetting what the real nervous system capacity or function is within us because we were not born to live in this assaultive environment. But the other piece of that is is that we are born with different forms and functions of our nervous system, at least as a primary default. And that's why I believe all this is so important because, you know, the person who kicks the dog has uh, low tolerance but is super vigilant. And that super vigilance doesn't do well when they're overstimulated because that's taking too much energy and it's shutting the, you know, the person doesn't have the ability to shut it all down all the time. Because like I said, you're tired, you're stressed, you're overwhelmed. So there's not perfect answers to all this, but I'm really trying to look at it, you know, in a different way because it breaks my heart, you know, when I think about all the young people who have no words or ideas or avenues for these, for these, uh, what I think is, you know, biological design. It's not a spiritual issue as much as it's a biological issue uh, that certain people are just wired this way. Now, our spirit may come into this body to have specific experiences being wired this way, but I don't think it's a choice. I think there is people who are wired to want to kick the dog. And nobody wants to be that person until the dog is a terrorist, right? Or the dog is a uh, robber or a criminal or an abusive person or is, you know, a, a boulder or a tree falling or a car coming, you know, which we have to push out of the way, right? We Then it's awesome. Uh, if it's just the dog, then it's evil. And, you know, being that person understanding what it's like, you know, I don't like the shame of it. I don't like the blaming. I certainly don't like 
the description of being broken or needing to be medicated or made wrong. And, you know, people who are not like this put a lot of energy into telling us why we are wrong and how we need to change to be more like them. And as a grown-up, you can say, no, thank you. As a child, you don't understand. You just know that something isn't right and you're getting a lot of negative feedback unless you do something heroic. Uh, but that doesn't explain all the other times. So uh, I just was you know, fascinated by her conversation and you know, I'll put the links up at a different point, but I just wanted to check in with you while this was fresh uh, into the assault of my nervous system period because uh, I've gotten so used to privacy. It's very difficult, you know, for me to have people on top of me uh, in a way. I can't even, you know, open my door without somebody, you know, looking. Uh, and I realize for most people that's normal. And that's why we have houses that lock up and shades that get drawn. And, you know, I live the other way. I live outside. I do almost everything outside. And I didn't even have coffee this morning because it's too hot to boil water inside the truck. And I didn't even want to go stand outside and do that. But it is fascinating who we are as humans and all these different ways we've created uh, to live in the world. But I'm you know, pretty sure a lot of this is becoming by default because there's so many people uh, in small spaces and, you know, the desperation to find a way to be in the world that's legal, you know, that you're not getting arrested for. But uh, it's extremely difficult for those of us who don't understand who we are through our nervous system and are constantly trying to manage it in ways uh, that culturally... Uh, you know, through drinking or through, uh, you know, activities that aren't necessarily good for anybody, you know, trying to manage it in a way because there's a cultural uh, system that's stating, you know, you really need to change or you need to pretend or you need to hide or you need to go to anger management classes. And, and I'm not saying that there's not value in some of these coping issues and behaviors, but, uh, you know, the you need to go learn to meditate for somebody who is not wired to meditate. You know, there's other ways to do that focus and to calm, but it's seen as you're broken and you're wrong. You should love that. You should be able to do that. And there's something wrong with you. So uh, I was just really struck when she talked about, you know, with such uh negativity towards and it was a polite negative she wasn't like me she was like and then there's people who kick the dog but you know it was derogatory and uh, you know I as I'm listening I'm like but I'm a fan of the people who kick the dogs because I understand you and I want us to have equal value in the eyes of ourselves because until we value ourselves and who we are we will never find our way through the cultural norms we've established of this fantasy way of being, uh, you know, dangerous and sexy, but tender and poignant, you know, with the children and the pets. Like, you know, the ultimate guy, right? He can go save your life and then he's all, you know, gentle and sensitive, you know, with the babies and the dogs. When in reality, it doesn't work that way. You may have moments, but it doesn't work that way all the time. And if you could see behind the scenes of so many of the people that we consider awesome, you know, they're screaming and yelling at their staff. There's so much. Uh, I was always shocked about that, you know, when I would 
come up and, you know, for whatever reason with kind of famous people and see them behind the scenes. It's like, whoa. And we see that now with video. I think about Steve Irwin, you know, the, I saw something with him, the alligator guy who died so young. And he was this jovial, nice, kind, you know, guy who loved animals. And I remember seeing some clips where the camera was running (laughs) and he was off camera uh, and he had a really short temper and he was snapping at everybody. I'm like, exactly. Uh, You know, we just have these false pictures Uh, in the same way, you know, I don't record with you when I'm in one of my moods and modes, you know, I'm right now, you know, the flip is switched. I have to be polite. Uh, I have to be civil, but you know, once this turns off and I have to start, you know, dicking with some stuff around here, you know, that flares in me. And so we're just going to say a deep breath. Uh, I'll let you know how we go, but I wanted to touch base. I wanted to really speak to this idea. You know, this is something that's important to me and I know it's not important to other people in the same way, but I appreciate your, you know, support through this process of evaluating who we really are, because the violence is coming, Uh, you know, the Wired for Danger people will be valued in that time, and then when the violence ends, uh, we will be lost again and thrown away, and that's why my heart reaches out to all of us who are wired for a very specific reason that I believe is valuable, but that is very culturally limiting. Uh, we, you want, you like us when we're saving your life, and you hate us when we're telling you the truth about life. So, it's a very difficult, I think, uh, process, especially for young people. You know, I think as we get older, we get less. Uh, it's easier, you know, you find your place, like my place is far away from people, and that manages it pretty well, and I just poke my head out when I'm not uh, in a uh, more violent phase, but uh, but it doesn't, you know, it, it's why we also need all you other type of people who are kind and generous and sweet and functional and consistent and helpful Uh, You know, we need you to balance us because we are very specific. We are very short term, uh, but I also believe we are very necessary. And so uh, with that, wish me luck. I think every other place looks, I've marked that I'm going to go check out today. It looks as horrible, dirty, and crowded. But as long as I'm here, I need to go look and then I can make some decisions from there. So Wish me luck. No such thing as a perfect place, but at least there are some that are better than others. So deep breath, my friends. Have a fabulous day, and we'll keep our fingers crossed that whatever's going on around the world will keep itself in check for a little while longer at least. Uh, And with that, my friends, I'm so glad you're here, and I will see you next time.